Hi, this is Michelle. And this is Deanna. And this is Historable. Deanna, today, of all the days, we are talking about the Henry VIII. Yay! I've been so excited for this one. I know. Deanna's been so stoked to go over Henry VIII. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised because, I mean, as a history podcast, I really want to talk about, like, his effect on England and political reformations and with the church and all these things. But I'm going to just forewarn all of you. If you came to this episode to find (laughs) out that information, it's not going to be here. Not today. It's literally and not even intentionally about all of his wives and pretty much little else. I mean, it's so interesting. Um, I was actually telling Michelle when we were prepping for this and getting ready to record um, the Six Wives of Henry VIII by Alison Weir is probably one of the only nonfiction historical biographies I've ever read. Look at you go. I know. Back in the day, I watched The Other Boleyn Girl with Natalie Portman and Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson. And then I'm like, wait, this was based on a real thing? Oh, yeah. And I didn't know. And that was just one of his wives. Yeah. <laughs> so then I started researching and then I'm like, wow, there's an actual book. On all of his wives. So I feel like today I actually might know some of the things we're going to cover. Awesome. I'm super excited. I will say for those that do want to know about, um, I guess, the legacy that Henry VIII left in a political sense and all that, I think we'll probably do a follow-up episode. We'll probably do like a, a Henry VIII revisited. Not anytime soon, but at some point because... I mean, there was just a lot to unpack here. Also, too, this episode, I'm probably going to reference back to a lot. There are a lot of spinoff characters from this story. For sure. He's a a real, real interesting dude. Not just even like his wives, but his children, his relations. Like there is a lot. This was, I feel like a crucial part in English history. Um being an American, I can't say that for sure, but that's how I feel like it is. And also, I feel like if there's ever a movie about that time period, like it's about Henry VIII. For sure. I feel like there's so many shows mm -hmm. and movies and just stuff about him. And I'll definitely reference a few of them in in the episode. So get your pen and paper out and we're going to, or your note app on your smartphone. (laughs) Because like we're in the 21st century. Yeah, you could do that. Wait, are we technically the 22nd century? No. 20. Oh, no, no. just kidding. 21st. 21st. You had, oh, man, that is my biggest. I'm always like, am I saying the right century when I'm, like, researching this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Tough in the streets. So a lot of times you'll just hear me say, in the 1800s. <laughs> Fun fact. Fun fact. Um. All right, so... Let's get into it. So Deanna and I are actually breaking one of our cardinal rules where we try not to drink when we're recording. <laughs> we just drink that. We just drink afterwards. Yeah. Um, but we decided to 
pour a nice glass of red wine to just kind of get us in the zone. Yeah, I feel like this is such like a saucy, saucy story. And it's a type of tale that needs to be done with a glass of red. So cheers. Cheers. And let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. So Henry VIII is known for many reasons. While his decision to break from the Catholic Church is probably like, in my opinion, like the most prominent thing about him. Um, like I said, we're going to be talking about <laughs> his marriages and mistresses today. Yay! I don't know. That's the juicy stuff, right? For sure. All right. So our story begins with the marriage of Henry VII to Elizabeth of York, which would be Henry VIII's parents. Gotcha. This is important because their union ended the Wars of Roses. This was like a decades-long civil war between two families, right? You have the House of Lancaster and you have the House of York, and they were both represented by a rose. Lancaster, a red rose, and York by a white rose, hence the Wars of Roses. I was going to ask. I'm like, that just sounds, the War of Roses sounds, sounds so, so dainty nice. And, and pleasant, but no, it's because, yeah, they're like house sigils are both roses. Oh, okay. So their marriage, like, ended that, those wars. Interesting. Um, and the reason why it's Wars of Roses, because it was like, from my understanding, um, there was like several, like, in quick succession. So over like three decades, it looks like. Oh, wow. So a long-standing thing. Feud. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so really, their marriage unified England. Um, and they merged the two households to create the House of Tudor. Um, you may have heard this before, too. There is a show called The Tudors. 10 out of 10 would recommend. I love this show. I still have not watched it. Everyone yeah. talks about it. It's so good. And I watched it a couple years ago. I think it's available on Netflix. But after doing all this research, I'm like, I think I'm going to do a rewatch. <laughs> I might need to watch it, too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really good. Um, so anyway, you also might know the Tudor name from the Tudor Rose which is uh, the Tudor's house sigil, which is a combination of a red and white rose. Oh. So, little fun facts for you. Interesting. Uh, so anyway, they get married in 1486. And that same year, they give birth to their first son, the heir apparent, Arthur. This is a huge success, right? You have a newly formed house mm -hmm. in England who just took the throne and it's really rocky and shaky. They have all these enemies coming at them, trying to, you know, create their own line. Right. Um, take the throne. And the only way to really solidify it is by having a son. And boom, first try, first pancake, Arthur comes along. Whoa, way to go, Elizabeth. Yeah. This was huge for them. Um, they felt really content. But obviously, you need to have more kids, right? Like, a lot of times kids died in infancy or things happened you know especially when everyone was kind of after them like they needed some backup they needed some extra children oh gosh terrible so, terrible um in 1489 elizabeth of york gave birth to their second child margaret tudor and another way that in this time to like gain strong alliances or just like get like a firm grasp on the throne is is through marriage right mm -hmm. like you're gonna get your allies this way like say hey we'll give you this if you do this you know if we marry our two children together we are now one one you know unit. united front exactly gotcha yeah. and so margaret tudor was eventually promised to 
James the Fourth of Scotland, and that was intended to unify those two countries. Gotcha. Um, their third child, born in 1491, is the one to which the episode is titled after, and our main character of the day, Henry VIII, also known as the Spare. I don't know. If <laughs> what? You, have you ever heard of like this reference? So like when some sort of monarch or someone in power, they would have the heir and the spare. I did not know that, but it makes a lot of sense. So actually, like in present day, like Prince William and Prince Harry are referred to as the heir and the spare. So it's always safest to have a second son. Right. Because they're going to have a stronger claim to the throne over a female. So Margaret, for instance. Right. And all it's just, yeah, the heir and the spare. You have an extra one. <laughs> so like even like Prince Harry was like called the spare. Funny. Yeah. I had never heard that before. So they had their heir, they had their daughter, and they had their spare. So as sort of this designated spare heir, Henry had a much different upbringing than his brother Arthur. <laughs> um, it seemed like he was kind of destined for a religious job. Oh. That way he could remain prominent as some sort of work his way up to be a higher figure in the church but still on the sideline to kind of allow Arthur to shine and sparkle. Got it. So he was going to be powerful on like the religious front, but mm-hmm. kind of let his brother do his own thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they also too, I think did this probably for strategic purposes to level him up and have that strong power within the church, which was a huge influence in this time. Oh, right. The Catholic church the Vatican will mention them a lot. Like they were very heavily involved in all political houses Mm -hmm. in this area in this time. Gotcha. But otherwise Henry was described as extremely intelligent and a very athletic young man. So I definitely think it seems like he spent his time learning about theology and he spoke many languages and he enjoyed hunting like he was just like a well-rounded gentleman of the the time um and he even wrote a book oh maybe several books so the book in particular as an extremely devout catholic he wrote something called the defense of the seven sacraments which was pretty much him tearing into a man named martin luther regarding his religious beliefs. Oh, interesting. And so for those that don't know, Martin Luther was kind of known as like the father of Protestantism. Protestant, <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Protestantism. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Tudors were notoriously Catholic. So he wrote this like deep dive book into like just tearing him a new one. Oh, interesting. Much. And the Pope took notice of this book and called and dubbed him the defender of the faith. Ooh, that's quite a title. Yeah. So he was super religious, super into education and the arts and everything. Like I said, very well-rounded. And he just kind of carried on and lived as normally as possible in his brother's shadow. In 1501, at the ripe age of 15, Henry's older brother, Arthur, was married to Catherine of Aragon. She was from a royal household in modern day in like Spain. It, it's references like the Iberian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, so the marriage definitely came with its perks and alliances. And nice weather. And nice weather and great <laughs> food and great culture. <laughs> a lot of things. 
Um, they were actually promised to each other ever since they were both three years old. Oh, wow. Again, the, they were promised to each other by Arthur and Henry VIII's father, Henry VII. He was the first of the Tudor line, right? So he's really trying to solidify these alliances. Right. Arthur's going to marry this Spanish princess, and my daughter Margaret's going to marry the Scottish, you know, That would be so weird to be growing up knowing, like, that's my future husband or wife since I was three. I know. (laughs) And and then a lot of times, like, did they even meet before they got married? I don't know. So, again, Henry VII was really pushing to, like, I need a stronghold for this new Tudor line that we're kind of creating. It was very strategic sounding. Yes. Yeah. So, sadly, five months after the marriage... Arthur died. Oh. So yeah, heir no no longer. This is why you need a spare. Come in, heir spare. (laughs) And everyone was like, oh shit. Like, here's this brand new claim to throne. We're created the Scotland alliances and now Spain. And here Arthur goes and just dies. Like, RIP. Man. So of course, we turn to the spare, Henry VIII. But there was a little bit of an issue, right? Because Catherine of Aragon was promised to Arthur as a king she was promised to the future king of england and for many many years they were promised to each other Mm -hmm. and so one can only assume that her household made good and fulfilled some promises and some of the like i guess rewards of their alliance before they were even married right and now she's widowed and now they're she's not married to the king of england and so they're kind of like well wtf like we've done all these things for you we were promised the king of england and right now he's dead like what are we gonna do about this and catherine of aragon was like hey we never consummated our marriage so oh like, by the way <laughs> by the way like offhandedly we never consummate we were only married for five months reportedly arthur was sickly during this time oh i was gonna say wasn't wasn't like the wedding night like a big deal back then of like consummation i mean i don't know much right? about it like, but i feel like i've definitely seen a lot of mention of like people even witnessing like consummation yeah. ceremonies so i don't quite know what happened here who's to actually really know i mean maybe she was just lying to try to maybe get out of it present who, who knows, knows? <laughs> so anyway she says no he was too sick to consummate the marriage i did see one mention that he was ill so then his father henry the seventh like sent her off to some castle to kind of where they were going to live together but arthur stayed behind until he was like well enough so like it it's quite possible that maybe they didn't in the five months it's a little little cloudy yeah so pretty much because they never consummated their marriage it was null and void um and so she was available to marry again and since catherine was promised to the king of england they said hey henry the eighth we got a wife for you. <laughs> so then they were then betrothed. And when his father, Henry VII, died on fifteen in 1509, um, they did just that. Six weeks after Henry VIII took the throne, he married Catherine of Aragon. But sadly, she would not be his only wife. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, I think we knew this like coming into this, right? Yeah, this like, isn't a spoiler alert by any means. <laughs> many times about how many wives there were. Even if you're not a big history buff, you probably if you know a if lot. You, if you didn't already know, now you know. Now you know. Now you know. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. 
Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII would go on to be married for 15 bountiful years. Wow, that's a good good run. It's a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, during this time, Catherine would give birth to six children, three boys and three girls. However, only one of those survived outside of infancy, mm. and that was their daughter, Mary, who was born in 1516. Oddly enough, Henry did not keep to his marriage bed. No. <laughs> and he did end up having a son, a bastard, who he openly recognized. Um, his mother was one of Catherine's ladies, and her name was Elizabeth Blount. Um, this was like one of his first most prominently known mistresses, and mm -hmm. she was kind of nicknamed Bessie Blount, which I just, that's got a nice ring to it, right? <laughs> Bessie Blount. Bessie Blount. What's up, Bess? So, again, if you watch the show The Tudor, she's heavily portrayed in the first season, and it's really informative. <laughs> um, although, I'm assuming that it's, like, overly exaggerated. A little extra dramatic for, for TV. The, for the ratings, yeah. Right. So, take that with a grain of salt. But it's told that he truly and openly loved her. So, this was weird, right? Because usually they would take... Back in the day, if a monarch would take, or any sort of high-positioned man would take a mistress, it was usually, one, a married woman, because then if she became pregnant, she could say it was her husband's. Really? Yeah. I had no clue that that was a thing. So, it wasn't always a thing, but it was a preferred situation. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So, because back then, it was like a mortal sin. I mean... To have sex out of wedlock, first and foremost. So, like, they were already committing that. Right. But, like, what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. But oh. once you're an unmarried woman and then you just say, like, hey, I'm pregnant, like, one plus one equals two. Okay? Like, you know what happens. Interesting. If you're pregnant. So, it was always a safer choice to have an affair with a married woman. Oh, okay. Bessie Blount was not married. Ooh. And she was one of Catherine's ladies. Oh, like her girl squad. And so she actually got pregnant at the same time as one of Catherine of Aragon's like last pregnancies. And so they were kind of like pregnant at the same time. Ooh, awkward. Um, that one did lead to a miscarriage, unfortunately. So um, there was that. But yes, it was a little eccentric in the way that he like acknowledged Bessie Blount. Like people knew of her openly, which... Again, back in the times, like, people usually knew who the mistress was. Right. But he was super open about it. Very open about it, yes. Where it used to be more hush-hush. Yes. Interesting. Um, and the fact that she gave birth to a son created a whole nother set of issues, particularly for Catherine, because it is now acknowledged that Henry can give birth, well, is able to conceive a male heir where it's now looked at as Catherine of Aragon saying, Hey, this is on you. Like this oh, is your fault. Right. Cause she couldn't carry, carry a healthy put male it. heir where Bessie Blount was like, I got this. Like, I don't know. So it created a lot of, I mean, having an illegitimate child anyway is going to create tensions in your marriage for sure. Right. Can um, illegitimate children back then, can they ever become like a full heir or is that not a thing? So back then they had really two options. 
they could be acknowledged or not acknowledged. Gotcha. In this case, he was acknowledged. His name was uh, Henry Fitzroy. Mm -hmm. He was acknowledged by Henry VIII, so it gave him a little bit of like an upper crust power, I guess you could say. More like royal street cred. Sure, but he could never really like be a legitimate contender for the throne. Interesting. Yeah, because he was born out of wedlock and again, you know, the Vatican and the Catholic Church was very heavily involved with pretty much every monarchy across Europe at this point. So it was a big no-no. But he needed a stronghold to the throne, uh, Henry, and that could only be done with a boy. So he was like, okay, I'm going to acknowledge you and kind of keep you close in case we can like pull some stuff later. Right. I think that's why he also acknowledged him openly. I'm going to keep you in my circle. Yeah. And so... You could almost, like, assume, like, okay, I have this woman, Bessie Blount, who can, like, clearly produce male heirs for me. Like, you think at this point he'd be trying to get out of his marriage with Catherine. Right. And get with Bessie and make his illegitimate son legitimate. But that doesn't happen. Catherine ends up replacing Bessie as with a new lady. And this lady would go on to change everything. And her name was Anne Boleyn. Yay! Yay! I love, I'm so excited. This is my favorite of all of his wives. Spoiler (laughs) alert. (laughs) So again, Deanna mentioned earlier, but the other Boleyn girl, really great movie. Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson, a bunch of other really great actors and actresses. So go watch it. Um, But it's about Anne Boleyn and her sister, Mary Boleyn. Um, but Anne Boleyn was from a very well-to-do family uh, and was serving now as one of Catherine's maids of honors. Maids of honor. Um, and the way that she was actually introduced to Henry VIII was from her sister Mary. And the reason why Mary knew the king was because Mary was one of Henry's mistresses. Because if you thought that was only Bessie... You don't know what you're thinking. (laughs) He had a constant rotation. Again, going back to like his upbringing, he was very athletic. He was very intelligent. He appreciated the arts. He was a very worldly man. And like, I think even besides the fact that he was the king, like he probably attracted some babes. Yeah, for sure. He was like, Hot king. Hot king, yeah. Hot king. Not for long, but... Yeah. I was going to say, I was thinking of, like, the, the like, drawings and renderings I've seen of him. I feel like he got real not hot. Real not hot. But probably in these early days. Yeah. Woohoo. stunting. <laughs> so, Mary Bowen was one of his mistresses, and she had introduced him to her sister, Anne. And almost immediately... He was obsessed with her. He was like, hey, you're beautiful. I think you should like come to my chambers later. <laughs> and she was like, nope, not not happening. And he was like, WTF, like I'm the king. Like I'm hot. I'm athletic. Like I know languages. Like all the girls want me. Right. Like I have like a gaggle of mistresses. Like come join us. Come join us. And she was like, no, not until we get married. And he was like, oh, uh, hello. Like... <laughs> I have a wife. She's kind of like really important. And also I have a very famous mistress. Maybe you've heard of her. Bessie Blount. Yeah, she has. She's the mother of my son. Like, duh, Anne. Duh, Anne. <laughs> um, 
historians say though that she like remained true to her virtuous beliefs and did not sleep with him i mean if you really think about it he was not only sleeping with her sister but also like saw that he was sleeping with her sister and like her sister really wasn't getting anything out of like (laughs) except for potentially maybe getting pregnant like and that was it so she's like why am i gonna go do what my sister's doing and right. like have nothing come for Bessie Blount what so she's got your child but like where's he going really like I don't know like right smart woman she's yeah. like I don't see any benefit to this situation at the moment yeah I'm gonna hang on to my virtue and I think too she fully took advantage of the fact that like Henry VIII was obsessed with her and that she had something like a carrot to dangle in front of them be like come do my bidding right sneaky 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 um and i mean let us not forget Catherine of aragon is still (laughs) kicking and his actual wife right but at this point she's pushing 40 and henry is very uncertain at her ability to carry a healthy baby boy um he worried about a curse from the old testament that banned the marriage of brothers to the, or of men to their brother's widow, which is the exact thing that he had done. Oh, interesting. And him being so like religious growing up and things like that to actually have done that. Exactly. And so he's thinking, oh my God, I'm cursed. And here I am obsessed with this, this woman, Anne, and I have to have her, but I can't unless I marry her. Like, what do I do? So he kind of starts weighing his options with his political advisors. I mean, everyone knew of Anne, just like Bessie. He openly loved her and openly acknowledged her. And um, it wasn't just like as easy of like poisoning Catherine, right? Like, right. that's obvious, okay? Everyone's going to know you done did it. Right. right. People are going to be like, hmm, that's a little sketch. A little sus. Shady. A little sus. Yeah. So he turned to really the only person he could in the Pope. And he was seeking approval for an annulment. Rude. I mean, they've been married quite some time by this point. Like 15 years. How do you annul that? I know. <laughs> so his reasoning was really that he stated Catherine of Aragon was lying and that her marriage to Arthur was in fact consummated. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And therefore, they were married under false pretenses. Hmm. And that that should be a good enough reason for them to get an annulment. But the Pope was like, eh, the church had to give you a special license just to marry her anyway. Like, again, like, the church was, like, very against, like, men marrying the widows of their brothers. Mm -hmm. And so he had to get, you know, kind of, like, permission for that. And so he was like, no, this kind of seems, like, too messy for me. Like, (laughs) we're rejecting this. Right. Pope's like, I'm out. I'm out. Bye. Uh, Henry was obviously pissed. Um, And he's like, I really want this woman. And, like, I need an heir. Like, he had just this, this, like, passion for an heir, just like his dad did. Again, he's only the second monarch of the Tudor reign. Like, it was very important. But then he remembered, he is a king. And kings can do what they want. (laughs) So he was like, I don't need approval from the Vatican. Like, I don't need you guys. 
Um, but also remember, he's a very, very religious and devout Catholic. So he was kind of like, all right, what do I do here? How do I keep my faith, but kind of like get rid of Big Brother Vatican so I can do whatever <laughs> the hell I want? And so what he does is in the like almost like most religiously bold move of the time, he separates from the Vatican and creates what's called the Church of England. So this is important because the Church of England is like a branch of Catholicism, Mm -hmm. but they don't bow down to everything that the Vatican says. Like they say that the highest power is, I think, like a bishop within the Church of England. So Mm -hmm. everything's very self-contained. Like they can be bought off. They're, you know, like they're probably like already in his court. Like for sure getting some some nice prizes here and then (laughs) so he was like this is what i'm gonna do like i'm just gonna create my own church i'm just gonna create my own church that's a very bold move and here's anne boleyn being like i'm waiting like i don't know (laughs) dang hashtag obsessed like this man literally split from the most powerful uh, really the most powerful political machine of the time was the vatican and the catholic church can you imagine being poor catherine at this time like come on bro (laughs) and she was oh right like come on i've suffered so much so many miscarriages which like for a woman that is so difficult this immense pressure of trying to conceive an heir your husband constantly flaunting all his mistresses about like and now he's just i'm gonna make a church because i gonna make a church over here really like Anne. this this she won't sleep with me so like i'm gonna literally move mountains in order to take her to my bed so after he does this he talks it over with his you know parliament and the government and everything and they say okay yeah you're right like her marriage to arthur was consummated so we're gonna allow this to be annulled and he successfully annuls his marriage to Catherine and banishes her he does allow her to keep the title of Dowager Princess of Wales. Oh, how sweet. For those that don't know, <laughs> Dowager is like a reference to widowed. And then she was the Princess of Wales because his brother Arthur was the Prince of Wales at the time that he died. Gotcha. So like, cool. Here's your title. I don't know. And you're banished. <laughs> you're banished. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So, uh, at this point, right, he gets his marriage annulled and he's like, yes, cool. And, but I don't know if you remember Bessie Blount, like she's still like, hi, I gave you an heir. Right. Like his baby mama is just on the side. Like, hello. Yeah. Henry didn't care. He breaks up with her too. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, cool. Thanks for giving me a son. But like, Anne's my main girl right now. So like, you can be like maybe number five. Like there's other girls too. Like no big deal now the year is 1533 and henry VIII finds himself a single man yet again which means he can marry anne boleyn dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. henry VIII and anne boleyn get married and pretty much immediately after they're pregnant Woo-hoo. some people say that they were she had to have been pregnant before they got married mm. maybe he was kind of like okay i literally annulled my marriage with my wife i got rid of my top mistress who actually provided me with an heir and uh i like created a whole new church so like it's time to like 
come to bed with me before we get married. Who right. Knows? But Who knows? it was very quickly after the wedding, they had a baby and it was a girl. Oh, womp, womp, womp. Womp. this girl was named Elizabeth. And yes, she does go on to become that Queen Elizabeth, the one that all the movies are about and all the shows are about. Like, she's also like very prominent in pop culture as far as like referencing the Tudor era. For sure. At this point, he now has three children his son, Henry Fitzroy, who's illegitimate, this brand new bouncing daughter, Elizabeth, who could in theory ascend him you know follow him to the throne Mm -hmm. um but it wouldn't be the strongest hold but then he also has remember a daughter by way of Catherine of aragon named mary oh right but at this point he's like hey since our marriage wasn't legal uh you are now illegitimate oh like imagine being that like you are the princess you are loved you are born and raised in court and then all of a sudden now you're just a bastard your dad's like nah I mean, talk about daddy issues. And let me tell you, she has some issues later. So, like, this explains a lot, probably. <laughs> Him and Anne kind of continue on their life. And he's obviously pissed and, like, ravenously going after this idea of having an heir as pair. And so they just kind of kept trying. Anne would go on to suffer two miscarriages in the next few years. The second of which was a boy. Mm. Apparently, the second miscarriage was brought upon. Uh, he, I think he was jousting or riding. Don't quote me on that. But he had gotten injured on horseback. And it was kind of grim. When Anne found out about this, she apparently like went into a panic. Like, oh my God, my husband's going to like die. And here I am pregnant, whatever. And then went into premature labor. Oh, no. And then it was uh, a still stillbirth. And it was right. a boy. So as time went on, no male heir, and Henry started to wander into other women's beds. Oh, Henry. Honestly, he was probably doing it the whole time. Who actually knows? But let's be real. Let's be real. Like one could speculate, like Anne is now under an immense amount of pressure. This man just created a church so he could get an annulment and marry her. And now she's like, can't produce him with a male heir, which was like the only thing he ever wanted. And this makes me like so angry in present day. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to just like punch some people. But this, these were the times, and that's what it was. <laughs> we have to put our, our mindset back in the day. I have to put my tutor hat on. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I think all the stress of this too, like this couldn't have been helping her conceive, like being under oh, this gosh, constant no. pressure and the stress. And so, I mean, like I said, she went from being his ride or die to nothing i mean like really he she was like brought down to catherine of aragon like level in his eyes at this point what a jerk yeah so i know and here's the fun part three years into their marriage henry has Anne arrested for adultery and incest for apparently sleeping with her brother Oh, yeah. interesting. So again, this is all discussed in the other Berlin Girls. I do recall recommend. this. Highly recommend the movie. Yeah. So good. And so the theory here is that she slept with her brother to try and get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Because Henry VIII was like, hey, you're like also not giving me an heir. So like I'm going to go with my other mistresses. And he wasn't coming to their marriage bed anymore. Right. So she's like, how am I going to produce an heir? If you won't even 
sleep with me. So right. she, and this is again, like, how could you ever like co- corroborate any of this? Like you can't. So this is just like what they say. Um, so anyway, whether or not that's true, we'll never know. Um, however, what is true is that Anne was convicted of her crimes and beheaded at the Tower of London on May 15th of 1536. Uh, with her conviction, it also ruled her marriage to Henry invalid, and he was a free man once again. But only for one week. <laughs> Henry VIII went on to marry his flavor of the week, Miss Jane Seymour. Jane was also a lady of the court who he had taken up as his mistress like months before. She like mm. wasn't anything new. Much like Anne, they announced their pregnancy shortly after the wedding. A lot of people speculate that it, she probably was already pregnant and wanted to make sure he avoided any sort of illegitimacy. And that is why they got married so soon after Anne Boleyn's death. Makes sense. Yeah. So nine months later... He has a bouncing baby boy named Edward. Henry was able to feel a little bit secure in his uh, grasp on the English throne. But again, he needed that spare. Right. And he would sadly not find that in Jane because two weeks after giving birth, she passed away due to complications Mm -hmm. of giving birth. So R.I.P. Jane. You lasted for as long as you did, and you gave him that male heir. So proud of you. R.I.P. to you. Henry remained single for a few years here. At this point, he had three wives. He (laughs) was like, I need a breather. I still have my mistresses, so I'm still good there. That's a lot of weddings. It's a lot of weddings. (laughs) Um, But again, he needed that spare. He's like, I need another boy. Someone marry me. So in the late 1530s, he was on the prowl again. Oh. Because he obviously needed a wife to make that happen. Right. Um, Also during this time, political tensions were rising between England and the Vatican. Right. He had ditched them years before. They weren't just kind of letting that go without repercussions. Understandable. Um, intelligence reports were pointing towards the Vatican trying to form like an alliance with France, oh. which was like one of their biggest rivals at the time. His advisors were saying like an attack is imminent. Like this, we need help. Like we need to figure something out. And kind of going back to earlier in our story, we know that a way to make really strong alliances is with marriage. So he was betrothed to Anne of Cleves who was the sister of the current ruler of Germany. Oh. So it was a great alliance for him. So this is wife number four. This is wife number four. Wife number four. And also going back to the show The Tudors, Anne of Cleves is portrayed by Joss Stone. Do you remember Joss Stone, the singer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so she's in and she plays Anne of Cleves, and I love her. Aww. So anyway, just a little fun fact. Fun fact. Um, But it's famously told that Henry felt super cheated when he eventually met Anne of Cleves. Because, again, this was a very political marriage, just like Catherine of Aragon. They never met before they were betrothed or anything. The Mm -hmm. only thing he got to see was a portrait of her. And when he met her in real life, he was like, you don't look anything. Like, he got catfished. (laughs) She was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, absolutely not. Like, what's happening Your pics were not what you showed me. Yeah. 
this point, they get married, but he claimed he could not perform his husbandly duties with her. And the Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Henry, you've been husbandly dutying everywhere. <laughs> Every girl. Get out of here. In court. Right. Ugh, I can't. But okay. All right. Fine. You couldn't <laughs> perform. Whatever. And so at this point, too, I mean, to his credit, he's gotten like crazy good at getting rid of flies. For sure. But this one needed very little effort because... One, he didn't need the Vatican right. um, to give approval. Uh, she didn't do anything wrong. So, like, he couldn't, like, have her murdered or anything, like, beheaded. Right. So, he just kind of goes to her and was like, hey, this isn't working out. And she was like, I agree. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> she so, was probably like, red flags everywhere. Red I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Like, let me get out of this mm -hmm. with my head. So, the lack of romantic feelings was clearly mutual and Anna Cleves agreed to an annulment because they had not consummated their marriage and therefore it was annullable. Is that the word? That sounds right. Capable of annulment. Let's say that. Um, so in the end, six months after their marriage, they parted as friends. That's nice. Yeah. That's good. Henry gave, ended up like giving her a very generous income to live out the rest of her days. Uh, she remained in England. He gave her some land. He gave her some, like, estates and allowed her to come to court, like, as often as she wanted with open arms. Like, wow. She got a good deal. I know. <laughs> she didn't get murdered. She didn't, we have all this pressure to produce an heir. Like, right. Yeah. And, like I said, she's portrayed by Joss Stone in the show, The Tudors. So, like, so she has her. a good legacy as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Catherine of Aragon is probably like WTF, like, because when she got banished, like she, I think too, like the stories about what Catherine of Aragon did with her time after she got banished from court are again, probably over, you know, like when dramatized, dra drama, dramatized, 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 dramatized. There was a lot of dramas. <laughs> You it was what, dramatic. It was dramatic. You know what we mean. Okay. Um, so it was said that like she never left her, Catherine of Aragon never left her room, was like in one castle, like went to church, mass like three times a day. Like, I don't even know. So Anna Cleves definitely had a little bit of a better situation. For sure. And we know now he was married to Catherine for 15 years and then Anne Boleyn for like three or four. And then, you know, so... He's not getting any younger here, For right? Sure. And he really wants that second heir. He's a man on a mission. Yeah. If nothing else, I mean, when he is committed to something or someone, Literally. I mean, Henry's going to make it happen. He will make his own church for you. For sure. So, I don't know. A dedication for sure. He's committed to the cause. Yeah. He was so committed uh, that 16 <laughs> days after he annuls his marriage to Anne of Cleves, he marries Catherine Howard. Wife number five. Wife number five. I want to say that Catherine Howard is probably my second favorite of his wives. She was 18 years old, and he was, like, pushing 50. Oh. <laughs> saucy, saucy. Saucy, saucy. Um, and she was kind of described as like a present day I want to say like a bimbo but not really like she was just like an innocent 18 year old girl who like was like oh my god I just married the king of England look <laughs> at me oh my god I have maids of honor and like all these ladies 
and I have I can get all these dope ass dresses made. Yes. I mean, like, she is just living her best life. Living her best life. So, but at what cost? But at what cost? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the cost of her own head. Uh-oh. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We lose another head. Okay. So, so it's said that they had a very happy marriage for the first year. Mm-hmm. Again, she's very naive and just wants to have fun. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm reliving my youth here. Like, I, this is great. Midlife crisis. Yeah, and he, like I said, had been injured a a number of years before. So, like, at this point, right, again, he's pushing 50. That athleticism isn't really there anymore. Um, He kind of just got fat, and he started, he getting like ulcers on his legs out, which are like open wound sore. (gasps) So he was like oozing in fat. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could see our faces right now. Like, Oh, not a cute look for our boy, Henry VIII. Poor Catherine. And so here's Catherine Howard. She's a young girl. And I think the sparkle of being married to the King of England started to fade as it does. And some even say, too, when she entered into the marriage with him, she had already had a little bit of a reputation with the men. Like, Ooh, get it, girl. She, there were some rumors around that she wasn't pure. Ooh. If that's true or not, we will never know, like we always say. But um, about a year into their marriage, she began seeking excitement any elsewhere. Ooh, like, outside of the marriage bedroom. Outside of the marriage bedroom. Seeking her own affairs. With some young hot men. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you can never hide anything at court, right? They're always going to find out. Someone's always following you, reading your letters, your carrier pigeons. Opening up your wax seals. Yeah. you Nothing is secret in court. For sure. So Henry obviously found out about this. And Catherine Howard was beheaded. <sighs> R.I.P. Come on, Henry, you did the same thing. Yeah. Double standards, but I know. Back in the mindset. Back in the day. Back in the day. You can just get your hair right clean off. <sighs> so at this point, right, let's let's refocus on our main character here, Henry. Married five times. Two Anne's, <laughs> two Catherine's, and a Jane in between. <laughs> so you think this He'd be done. Like, all right, I'm over 50. Am I going to even have a male heir? Too many Anne's and Catherine's to count. No, he is always committed to his mission. Mission. I need my spare. He was the spare. He gets the the necessity of it all. Um, So, yes, he does get married one last time. Can you guess her name? I don't remember. Catherine Parr. (laughs) Here we go. So, yeah, Catherine number three. (laughs) This marriage was... Really just, like, less eventful. Wasn't as, like... <laughs> I mean... Salacious as the other ones. How many more events can happen? Let's I mean, be real. number six, let's get real. <laughs> um, they met because she started seeing the brother of his third wife, Jane Seymour. So, Jane Seymour's brother started seeing Catherine Parr. Got it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, she was twice widowed, childless, and had a reputation for far less scandalous than most of his former wives. So this was kind of like a head scratcher for people. Right. Kind of like a, a weird choice. But a little like, off script. But we're kind of into it. Like, this is going to be not as scandalous as the other one. So like, yeah, we're really rooting for you guys. Catherine number three, let's go. 
And so again, Henry's health at this point had like fallen even far, like way worse. Like, I can only imagine. Like again, he's just got like oozes all over his body. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she acted as his nurse and like took care of him in his gross legs. Like I don't know. Like, oh, what a saint. And um, not only that, but she brought a lot of peace to his family. She formed close relationships with all three of his children. Um, which meant that she even helped facilitate, like, mending uh, his relationships with Mary, who he had deemed illegitimate. Ugh. And also Elizabeth, who he, after his marriage to Anne Boleyn, also deemed illegitimate. Wow. So she mended the fences there. Um, she also formed a really great relationship with his son, Edward like really helped him like do learn king stuff and like his king studies i don't know i mean i'm glad by the sixth wife it sounds like he got it right she sounds lovely he got it right yeah she even was responsible for helping to restore both mary and elizabeth to the line of succession oh wow so he had like henry the eighth had already like taken them out he was like mm. so i like a no my marriage to your mother so you're illegitimate and then i chopped off the head of your mother so you're Ill- illegitimate and like she was like no no no, that's not gonna work like we're getting you both back in this line like obviously edward's the son so he's the heir apparent and he's kind of like number one on the list but what a boss be yeah look at her coming in there coming in yeah um no children came from their four-year marriage which was a little sad um, and eventually, in 1547, Henry VIII died. Um, while he never had that second son he always dreamed of, he at least had Edward and two healthy options in his daughters. Edward did end up succeeding him to the throne at the age of 10. <laughs> How does one rule at the age of 10? With a lot of advisors, I would assume. I was like, what was I even doing at 10? Playing softball. I don't know. I couldn't be running a country. I know. (laughs) So the next few decades saw some of the biggest instability of the Tudor reign. Because of the 10-year-old king? Because of the (laughs) 10-year-old king. Probably didn't help matters. Um, And I don't want to give, again, too much away because there's honestly eventually probably going to be an episode on, like, every one of these people. (laughs) So, like, I'm just going to give you a little tease here at first. But um, Edward, the 10-year-old king, ended up dying as a 16-year-old king. Oh, no. Okay. Yes. So uh, his sister Mary, again, the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, took over. Apparently, on Edward's deathbed, he had tried to have Mary removed as his successor. Why? She was raised like a very devout Catholic like her mother. And the powers that be thought that she might try to restore, like, the Vatican's power in England. Oh. And, like, reverse the Church of England. So Edward was like, nah. Everyone's like, no, let's get rid of her. Try and try. He died before he could make it happen. Mary takes the throne, and that's exactly what she does. Oh. Um, some say that during her reign, she burned something like 300 people at the <gasps> stake for being, like, religious rebels. Um, and she is known to history as Bloody Mary. My favorite brunch drink. There you go. Okay, well, it comes from. now I'll know who to think about yeah. when I'm enjoying my, <laughs> my little brunch drink. 300 people being burned at the stake. Yay. Yay. Cool. <laughs> so Henry 
Edward had tried like so hard to keep Mary from the throne before he died. And he actually like wrote like an affidavit or whatever to request that his cousin, also of Tudor blood, um, Lady Jane Grey, be his successor as she, again, she had royal blood, but she was also only 16. So they were making some sort of like teeny bop, like pact with each other. <laughs> like, let's do this. Like, if I die, you become it. Okay. Like, now you're royalty. Now you're royal. Yay. <laughs> um, so she took the throne for only like nine days before she was convinced to give it to Mary. Um, it's told that Jane like didn't even want the throne and she was just kind of like stuck as a pawn with like her dad and her uncle. So really when like Mary after Edward died and Mary was like, hi, I'm next in line. Jane was like, okay, you're right. And just like gave it back to her. I mean, it sounds like a messy position. So I'd be like here. Who would want to? Yeah. I'm so not dealing with nine this. Nine days in and she's like, no, thanks. Bye. No, thanks. I already have gray hairs. Um, So when Mary took the throne, she had Lady Jane Grey and her husband sentenced to death for treason. Why? And they were beheaded. What? They took the throne. Ugh. And Mary was like, that's my throne. How rude. That's very, very rude. So in all of the history books, it's kind of like there ends up being five Tudor like monarchs, but like some say like, but kind of six because Jane would be the sixth one, but it all depends on who you ask and what corner of the internet you're in. <laughs> right. Um, so Mary continued to be crazy and whatever. She was very unwell health wise. I mean, she also like dealt with some stuff in her teen years. So like I wonder, I wonder how that all played out as an adult. Oh yeah. And so during a flu pandemic or epidemic, she passed away at the age of 42. Again, she wasn't very well herself. She dealt with a couple different ailments. She's got kind of an interesting past. Again, I don't want to give too much away, but like she had some like fake pregnancies involved there. Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah, so she definitely had her health issues. So yeah, she was taken from a flu epidemic at the age of 42. And this left his only other legitimate child, Elizabeth, who would go on to become Elizabeth I. Like I said, there are tons of movies about her, too. She's known to history as the Virgin Queen who married her country instead of a man. And she would be the last Tudor monarch. That is the history of pretty much just the wives of Henry VIII and his offspring quick synopsis i love it i mean it's crazy it's it's one of those things you read about or hear about and you're like no way that sounds like a tv show or a movie and guess what it's both <laughs> but also it's real <laughs> but it's real based I on a true story <laughs> i can't even imagine i mean such an interesting little piece of history yeah absolutely um and that's why like i said i'm like he's very Henry VIII also did more than just sleep around in his reign. There's a lot of things that happened there, a lot to unpack. Obviously, his break from the Catholic Church is huge, and that like probably requires an episode all to itself. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't resist just going with the easy stuff and the fun, juicy stuff like his wives. This is one of the few topics that I would be 
very excited to research myself. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, like like always, I highly recommend that anyone go out there, read some books. Deanna, what did you read again? What was the book called? It was The Six Wives of Henry VIII by mm-hmm. Alison Weir. Mm-hmm. It's available on, you know, all the little book services. Where books are available. <laughs> yeah, at the bookstore. At the I book love, place. I love me a good Barnes & Noble run. Or you can do, you know, all the other ones. Yeah. But very interesting. Um, highly recommend that book. Like I said, as someone who is a big reader. Um, I'm in a book club. I love reading, but typically I read fiction books. This is one of the very few nonfiction books that I read and thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. It was really interesting. You got all the facts. It wasn't too deep into the history pieces, but just gave you a nice high level, much like your episode today. So highly recommend checking that out. Plus the other Boleyn girl, the Tudors, all of those. Oh yeah. I'm definitely all starting the a rewatch of the Tudors. I might need to go watch it after It's this. on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> Deanna, it is on Netflix. Right now, Michelle has her hands on her hips and looks very serious. Like, Deanna, it is on Netflix. Very seriously, though, it's on Netflix. <laughs> so, like, go watch it. We will, I will go watch it. We're going to wrap up this bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Michelle, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to research and educate us all on a very fun topic in history. Thank you for allowing me uh, the reason, really, to, like, go on a deep dive and watch a bunch of documentaries about Henry VIII. It was a really fun week, honestly. I really – this is a – I think it's just, like – it's a great topic for like pop culture so it's just like fun it's like watching the kardashians or something yeah for sure but like tudor era i don't know the real real housewives the real wives of henry the eighth the real wives the real ones check it out all right so as per usual we appreciate you guys so much for listening and we hope that you stick around and check out our next episode next week on monday And if you just can't get enough, check out our socials, check out our Facebook, Instagram, all historical podcasts. If you want to shoot us an email, historicalpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to fully support us um, and continue to hear great content um, and also maybe get a piece of swag or two, uh, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash historicalpodcast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Deanna, tell me honestly, which one of the Catherines was your favorite? Oh, shoot. I I kind of really enjoyed, like, Catherine Parr's vibe. Catherine Howard, all day. Uh, I don't know. I like Catherine Parr, like, brought everything together. So it's like, like a happy Anna ending. Cleves. Out of the two I mean, Oh, pff, Anne Boleyn. Oh, Anna Cleves. No, Anne Boleyn. Just on for life. No, whatever. I'm going to go on a deep dive of Just on my Spotify playlist. All right, have fun with that.